This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Well, today is our first live show of 2018. Happy New Year. And what a better way to start it off than with a dynamic author from Mississippi, I might add, Angie Thomas. We will talk with Angie about her debut novel, The Hate You Give, which was, by the way, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Plus, Michelle and I will chat about current events throughout the state inside the water cooler conversation segment at the beginning of the show. Well, to be part of today's show, you can give me a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be right back after the news. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Focus Features, presenting Phantom Thread, set in the 1950s world of high fashion, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, now in select theaters, everywhere January 19th. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Happy New Year, by the way. This is our first live show of 2018, and I think it's going to be the best show of 2018 so far. Actually, we have an incredible, uh, just a rock star of a guest. We have two rock stars in the studio, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, I got to know her a little bit because I interviewed her for the television show Conversations, which, of course, you will see in about six months. That's how that normally runs. And I just had to get her on the radio because, to be honest with you, she is amazing. She could be my co-host today, to be honest with you. Um, of course, Michelle is in Running the Buttons, but Angie <laughs> Thomas is here as well, another rock star. I just am surrounded by, like, really famous people today. So, but Angie Thomas, and you're probably you're thinking right now, is that the author of The Hate You Give? And yes. And I, I posted today on Twitter that she's from Jackson. And people are like, Really? I didn't know she was from Jackson. Wow. So there you go. She's right from here in Mississippi. Number one uh, book on the New York Times list, John Green, who's probably the king of adult, you know, adult, young adult, not adult novels. That would be a little awkward. <laughs> young adult novels uh, just basically described her book with one word, stunning. And I agree with you. I read it. it. I couldn't put it down. It was powerful. It is about, and we'll talk to her about all these things, about something that we need to have a conversation about in this country at the, in the very moment it came out. It was just, yeah. it literally caught the crest of the wave. And so Angie is in the studio, but her mom's in the studio, too. Uh-huh. So she, she said she's not going to get on the, on the air. She's shaking her head right now, but she is in the <laughs> studio. And um, her name will come up several times throughout this conversation, I know, because... Uh, big big part of Angie's life, and it's good to have her in the studio as well. And I've decided that I'm never going to make her mad, <laughs> ever, 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 ever. So I'm not going to push her too much to get on the microphone. Um, we do have a new segment yes. called The Water Cooler. Whoa. you got some a, great sound effects. I do, I do. That is not my stomach. <laughs> that is not my stomach. I just want to let you know. That was not from the chicken noodle kale soup that was out there, which is, smells delicious, by the way. You can tell I'm a producer. We're excited about a little bubble sound. I mean, really? Uh, <laughs> hey, hit that again. Do that one more time. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Gotta okay. Get... Got to do it. Awesome. And you know what? <laughs> we are not taunting you, Jackson. We know you don't have water right now. And you so know what? That's funny. actually fitting because I am on a rant. And I'm trying not to be upset about it because Java made a comment this morning and I had to put it in my notes. And he said, we rest in systems we do not control. And I added on the end, and that's not good. He had um, the farmer on this morning, Dr. Ayers, and we were talking about, you know, just knowing how to plant your own uh, food. You know, if the grocery stores are closed, if things that we count on everyday systems that we count on to be up and um, working, if they don't work, how can we continue on with our normal lives? And we're not teaching. And I mean, I'm just going to be honest. we've gotten soft. I don't know how to plant and and, and (laughs) dig up. No, I don't like dirt. I don't like worms. I don't like anything that can potentially hurt me. So, yeah, worms are really deadly. <laughs> See, 
got jokes. Yeah. Yeah. They look like they can hurt you, so I don't. They're I'm not three, around them. They're no more than three inches long. I think you're okay as long as you don't like swallow one whole and they get in your intestines. I think you'll be okay. You think I'll be okay? Yeah, but it, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about the, about my boys because Dad taught me how to. You know, we had a garden. We learned all these things. I don't have a garden. I have terrible soil in my yard. It's like clay, so I'm not going to grow anything. <laughs> But I'm thinking, wow, what kind of disservice am I doing among kids? Right. I mean, can they change their own oil? Right. Can they fix their brakes? Can they survive if there's like, you know, everything, the internet goes out for right. two hours? Can they be okay? Well, we were talking about currency. You know, I, you know, I'm not the doomsday person, but I do believe that we need to prepare uh, for the time when money is not the currency, when things uh, like food and clothes would be currency. And we barter chicken. Exactly. Yeah. And raising chickens and knowing how to do those things. No, I don't know how to do those things. I'm just going to be honest. And Mich- I need Mich- to learn. Michelle, you're depressing me a little bit here. I know it's 2018. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit scared. I'm going to start putting my money in mason jars and put it in the backyard now. I say, I, I think you should do that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. In your mattress, you know, and all in that stuff. In my mattress? Stuff. No, uh-huh. I am putting it in my mattress. Don't put all your money no. in a bank. I'll just tell you that right no, now. I, you're starting to sell my grandparents. I know. Okay. okay. Now, to be honest with you, <laughs> if I put it in the mattress, then my kids would find it or my wife would find it and it would disappear. That's how that works. Dig it in the back, uh, in the back, in your clay soil in the back. Hey, uh, don't be, it's clay, okay? <laughs> Anybody in central Mississippi knows Yazoo clay is not to be messed with. Well, let's talk about not resolutions, the but the new year. This is our first live show of 2018, and I'm glad to be back with you live, Marshall well, Ramsey. My number one resolution was to have amazing guests on this year, and guess what? We nailed it on the first show. We did. Yeah. We came out smoking on the first show, and that's what we do here. Oh, no, and we don't smoke, because Southern Remedy is on after this, and if we smoke, they will get mad at yes, us. Yes, they will. So. But you know what? This is a uh, pre- this is setting the president for the whole year. We're going to have great guests throughout the entire year, it's, dynamic personalities, and we're going to bring you guys the best entertainment possible in 2018. Really? So I'm going to sing every show. <laughs> now, that is definitely one of my goals, not to sing. But, you know, it's, I'm reading a book right now. It's a guy, named, a guy by a guy named Michael Hyatt. He's a former executive at Thomas Nelson Press. He has a book out called The Best Year Ever, and it's about goal you know, setting goals mm-hmm, and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I sat down yesterday and I literally went through the book and re- wrote out because, you know, when I'm I'm in a business that's changing every day. I'm mm-hmm. in the newspaper business. I, of course, do radio, I do television. But, you know, every day the technology is changing. And, you know, honestly, if you're sitting still, right, you're 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 dying. <laughs> you're going away. You're going to be irrelevant. You so, have to and, think. And, and my cartoons are obviously a big part of what I mm-hmm. do. And obviously I have a great brand and a great audience with those. But I want to make sure that they can see them. And I want to, of course, promote the work that I do at the newspaper, at the Clarion Ledger, but also want to be able to see other content I do. And, and we'll get Angie in in a minute. I'm sure she's going to talk about that, too, mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, books, that business has changed quite mm-hmm. a bit, too. And. Uh, my cousin's Dave Ramsey, the financial guy, and of course, blah, blah, blah. A lot of books. He's had some number one books himself. And he told me something very important. He said, go into the bookstore, look at all the books on the shelf, and you realize something. Number one, those are all your competition. And number two, they don't sell books. You sell books. Mm. So, you know, and I think that's something that all of us need to think, especially if you're in the creative business, that you're the one that's driving the bus. So when you're talking about goals... And, you know, people I think, well, I'm going to set goals for career. No, 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 no. You send it for your family. You send it for your social life, for your friends. You set it for your faith. You've got to set goals all the way across the, 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 the gamut, seven mm-hmm. different, maybe seven, eight different ways. Because if you, if you think you're going to be the world's greatest at your business and you deny your family, right. you're not going to be great. Because right. you know what? At the end of the day, your family's really going to be, who's going to be holding your hand when you die? Right. It's about balance. It's, yeah, it's, it's about balance, finding balance I, in life. Completely. I love my boss. Mm-hmm. I love all my bosses. I've got a lot of bosses. <laughs> None of them will be holding my hands when I die. Right. But I hope my children will be. Right. And so, you know, it's all about priorities and being able to do that. And if you don't have a strong faith, and I'm not going to say you need to believe in this faith or that mm-hmm. faith, but I want to say if you don't have something to believe that there's something bigger than you mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. the first time that you fall on your face, and I'm good at it. Trust mm-hmm. me. Look at my face, okay? <laughs> you can tell. because radio. Of course, look into the speaker. Um. It's all about getting back up. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if you fall. Oh, no. Um, Will Smith Instagrammed yesterday uh, live. He talked about failing. Failing is important. Failing teaches you how to persevere. Well, yeah. Failing is a part of growing. You have to fail. Like we talked about last year, 409 is named 409 because he made it 408 right. times. And the 409th time he got the formula right and he called it 409. But here's the thing, and, and you you have a really strong dad. I have really yeah. strong parents, and I was always afraid to fail growing up. And, I, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up in a 
you know, middle class school where a lot of kids were really smart and so forth. And so you were always trying to get the A, trying to get the A. And I remember that first D I got in college. And I was more proud of that D than I was of any A that I got because it taught me that I learned something from that D. Because yeah. when things are going good, you're not learning. Right. When things really, when you get pushed against the wall and you get pushed out of your comfort right. zone. See, and so a lot of people think that failure is just that. If you treat it as that and you don't learn from it, mm-hmm. then it truly is a failure. True. Speaking but, of uh, failures and persevering, uh, basketball update. Oh, yeah. Y'all, um, y'all still doing it? Well, you know, the water situation. So school is out today. But the last regular season game is this Thursday. We're playing Witten, and we are undefeated. Boys and girls, Siwell Middle School is undefeated. Both teams we're going into the uh, semifinals and the finals next week. So the 18th, we'll play the playoffs. The um, 22nd is the semifinals. And then on the 29th, hopefully, <laughs> will be the championship. And we, we'll be playing probably Northwest. And I'm so excited. Oh, very cool. And mm-hmm. I, get, I get to go tonight. And my son's going to be recognized for being an AP Honors Scholar. Oh, good deal. So very good. He, he got into his school and he got into the Honors College and blah, blah, blah. So he's a senior. He's going to be graduating. So, yeah, don't you love kids when yes. they actually don't screw up? <laughs> it's a good thing. So. Well, they have to learn. Look at look at mom. Yeah, I know. I know. Angie's mom's doing wait, her wait, hands wait. up and Don't down. Don't you love kids so. when they write a, their first novel when it goes number one on a, a New York best time, seller list? Mom, don't you love that? <laughs> yeah, my mom never had that experience. So. <laughs> <laughs> so not many moms do, to be honest right. with you. You know, the first time you step up to the bat and you hit it 400 yards Come on the center field fence and clear the bases. And, and of course, win, we'll win speak to her season. about how she feels as a mom, you know, because I'm a mom and just... How do you feel? Oh, she's so gonna we're going yeah. to speak to her. I don't yes. know if she's going to speak back. <laughs> we got to do some serious sweet talking to get her on the mic, but we'll make it happen. I will that? make it I happen. Know. I don't know. We'll, well take a what, break. We're going to take a break. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good deal. Well, this is now you're talking. Hey, thank you for listening, by the way. That's one of my um, one of my things for this year. One of my goals is to be grateful. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for each and every one of you for listening to this show. This is now you're talking on MP. Th- B. <laughs> MPZ, whatever. Think Radio. Yeah, it's it's the first live show that you can tell. We're going to have Angie Thomas coming up next. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Happy New Year. We're finally getting the year off, started off right and I tell you what, like I said, one of my goals this year was to have fantastic guests, and we nailed it on the first try. Um, first time I saw her was at the Mississippi Book Festival. We're sitting there signing books. I, I was signing at the same time. I'm not saying that we were any – she was like across the tent from me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to the occasional person that comes up and wants a book. And, you know, I hear crickets chirping everything. And I look over, and I see her – where she's signing in a line that's outside of the tent because she's like a rock star. Uh, <laughs> Angie Thomas is in the studio, and of course, her debut novel, The Hate You Give, uh, just rocketed to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, um, has changed so many conversations to the right direction. Angie, it's good to see you again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, no problem. It's good to see you again. Did you have a good Christmas? I did. It was quiet, which yeah. after my year was like the best thing ever. That's a thing. I mean, you know, number one, all right, your first trip out of the country, mm-hmm. you know, girl from Jackson, she gets to go now all around the world to sign this book. So you're going out, you hop on the airplane, and what's the first thing that happens to you when you're flying across the pond? Well, we were on the plane. They put us in business class, which was nice, well, you know, especially fancy. for my first trip out of the country. And I'm relaxing, watching movies, and the next thing I know, they're saying, we have engine problems. We have to turn around and go back to Dallas. And you're like, can I just jump out of the plane right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was interesting, too, because I had this moment. I had brought my laptop, and it's this huge gaming laptop. And I tried to plug it into the thing, 
and it wouldn't work. And the lady was like, I think you broke the little thing because it's too much power. And so when they were saying engine power problems, my mom looks at me and she's like, you did it. <laughs> you did. You about took down the plane. You were the one person who turned on their device before. And I messed up the entire flight. You did. Yeah. You did. So. Luckily, I, I think it had a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, it did. you did. It you did. landed safely, obviously, because you're sitting here right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So I can I can imagine your mom saying that too. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she was like, "Look at what you did." Yeah, you, you know, you're. She's sitting here giving you the eye right now. So I got to be a little bit careful. We got to be careful what we talk about. I don't want you to get in trouble. Yeah, it was quite the evening. All right, um, tell us a little bit about who you are, because mm-hmm. I mean. You know, obviously, and we got to talk about Oprah too, because there's a lot of things. The Golden Globes. I mean, we mm-hmm. might as well just talk about everything. But um, I, I saw an incredible story that you posted in an interview about how TLC changed your life or saved your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a huge TLC fan growing up. Yeah, and I have to like. I- I'm used to telling that who they are because I've done events at schools and the kids will look at me like who and they make me feel old. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> trust me, you'll get you'll get used to it. <laughs> but um, TLC was the biggest girl group of all time. No scrubs, waterfalls, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I was a huge fan. And um, when I was in middle school, though, I dealt with a lot of bullying and it got to the point that I was suicidal. And I one day I thought about ending my life and I listened to TLC song Waterfalls and Left Eye's rap really spoke to me. And she ended with this line, dreams of hopeless aspirations and hopes of coming true. Believe in yourself. The rest is up to me and you. And for some reason, that line stayed with me because I had so many dreams. And here she was saying, it's up to you to make it happen. And it was like it struck me because I realized if I do something to myself right now, I can't do that. Right. So that song really, in a way, helped save my life. And I told my mom what happened. And my mom, being my mom, somehow, some way, she got the phone number to Left Eye Studio, which happened to be in her house. Left Eye being the L in TLC. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the one who burned the house down. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. So um, my mom got her number and got um, called and told her assistant what had happened. And her assistant put Lisa on the phone. And she talked to me and encouraged me and was like, you know, I know it seems hard right now, but I have a feeling you're going to do something great. I want you to hang in there and keep going. And, and were you like, are you, is this real? Yeah. Okay. Are, who's punking me here? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I dro- initially I dropped the phone. Yeah. Um, when she told me who it was, she was like, this is left eye from TLC. I dropped the phone and I ran around my house screaming. And like, I was so loud that she asked my mom, is she okay? <laughs> Well, no, because <laughs> no, no, I mean, no. Yeah, left eye's on the phone. Like, do you know who you are? Yeah. But um, no, she was real. She gave me a lot of encouragement and really talked to me and listened to me for just a few minutes. And it made a great impact on my life. So um, it was awesome to be able to finally share that story. But they didn't. They cut out like the big moment of the big um, here I am now and here's how it's come full circle out yeah. of the interview. So I can share that experience. Well, yeah, we got an hour. You can tell you can tell as much as you want to. <laughs> well, a few months ago, I was in Atlanta for the launch of my book, um, and I've kept in touch with her assistant, the one who put me on the phone with her. And um, she knew about the book, and she came to the signing, and she said, "Lisa would be so proud of you." She was right. She oh. said you were going to do something awesome. She just had this feeling, and she took out this yellow bandana, and she said, "Lisa took it with her everywhere for good luck. I know she'd want you to have it." So she gave me. Okay, excuse me, as I get my chill bumps back. I know. <laughs> and it was interesting too. Like a few minutes after that happens, a mom comes up to me with her fourteen-year-old daughter, and she says, "You have no idea what your book has done for my daughter. It's helped change her life. Um, she was being bullied. She was suicidal." And she picked up your book and saw herself for the first time. You helped save her life. Thank you. So what Lisa did for me that same night that her assistant came up to me, I found out I'd done it for someone else. So if anybody's listening right now and you're thinking about that your life has no meaning, mm-hmm. it does. It does. It absolutely does. It gets better. There's light at the end of the tunnel. That's, but I mean, yours, that's just even, but <laughs> I mean, okay, it would have been no cool if she just called you, which is still pretty amazing. Number one, your mom works for the CIA apparently <laughs> and can like dig up any phone number anywhere. But the fact that you now have that bandana. Yeah. Yeah. I should have brought it with me today. But I keep it like in my luggage and I take it with me on every trip. Right. In case you nearly bring down the plane. Gives you some luck. <laughs> I didn't have it in Dallas. <laughs> so when's the next time you're flying? Because I'm about to get on a plane. It's kind of like, 
just make sure. <laughs> I leave tomorrow. You leave actually. tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it, it, it has been nicer to be home. Been kind of. So, okay. Let me talk about the dynamic. When you come home now, are you just still, you know, Angie? You come yeah. Home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So you're not like, you know, I want red M&Ms only or anything no. like that. Okay. No. Yeah. No. Mom's looking at us. Right. No. 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 I wish. Um, no. It's still the same for me. Um, I recently moved and um, I bought a house big enough that my mom could stay there, too. And so there's now this dynamic of, yeah, I own the house, but I have my mother who's still like, you need to clean your room. It's a mess in there. Like <laughs> She'll always be your mama. You know that, don't you? Yeah. It never goes away. Yeah, it never does. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that because it keeps me grounded. Yeah. So when I see people online telling me all these big things, like, you're famous. You're, and I'm like, no, I'm not. Have you right. not seen my room? Have you not seen my life? Like, I wish. <laughs> but that's, I mean, you know, just from like understanding the creative aspect of it, mm-hmm. that's important to remain grounded. Oh, I mean, it's good to have somebody that, you know, it's like, you know, I, my wife met me when I was a high school janitor. Mm-hmm. So she has never, I mean, she's very proud of what I've done, you know, which is nowhere near in comparison, but she's very proud of the fact I do what I do. But at the end of the day, I'm still the guy that was cleaning toilets because yeah. I was nice to her, yeah. you know? And so that's important for me. To come home to that every day, and that's important for you, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love coming back to Mississippi. You know, when you're young, a lot of times for a lot of us, it's like, oh, Mississippi. I'm so happy I'm from Mississippi and I have this place to come back to because it's so humble. You know, compared to, like, Atlanta, yes. where, like, you go well, the to the traffic's mall. easier, too. Oh, my God, I hate the traffic. There. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Even Blue Angels are afraid to drive in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's 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 nice to be home and and it's nice to have that foundation, especially when you deal with, like, the craziness of publishing and then Hollywood. So Yeah. Um, Neely Tucker. I don't know if you know Neely or not. Mm-hmm. He's written some novels. He was He's tweeting out about the life of an author and how written, what it's like to be a rich author and everything. He's like, yeah, you get a $100,000 book advance, mm-hmm. and then your agent and taxes come out of it, and you got $45,000. you got to live off that for three years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, but... I mean, you obviously, your first one did really well. You're about to work on your second one, which Mm -hmm. you told me a little bit about it, and maybe you can talk about Mm -hmm. it here today. Uh, It sounds like it's going to be equally as wonderful. I hope so. But that's hard, isn't it, coming in with that second book? Oh, yeah, it was, especially at first because— I mean, Harper Lee never could do it. Yeah, yeah, and it was like I had—it felt. sometimes it felt like I had— a hundred people standing behind me looking over my shoulder every time I wrote a word and they're like, that's not as good as that word in thug, you know? (laughs) Um, But what I just, what helped me was coming to, um, coming to the understanding that I wanted to write this book for myself first and foremost. And then I want to write it for those kids in my old neighborhood. That 14 year old. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. That those kids who hate reading, who some of them, they picked up the hate you give. And it was like the first time they really read a book from beginning to end because it spoke to them. And so I want to give them something else. You know, I have all of these people who say, oh, they love Thug, and it's never the people who I thought would be my readership. You're looking at me kind of funny right (laughs) now. No, not you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, I've had like, I've had, um, I've had book clubs of senior citizens um, who are white, who said that they've made my book their book club pick and they absolutely love it. I never thought that would happen. Never. But it's and that's awesome. That's great. For, but for me, that's the extra stuff. For me, my core and my goal is to reach those kids who look like Star, who were like me, right. who hate reading, who say, oh, "I never see myself in a book." Oh, it's another book about a white girl and a, a vampire. I don't want to read this. You know? Hey, what's wrong with being pasty and sparkling <laughs> in the sun? Thank you very much. Nothing. Okay, Absolutely just checking. <laughs> but you know, for them, it's like. They don't sometimes identify with a lot of books. So for them to pick up something and say, this sounds like me, this looks like me, those are the kids I'm trying to reach. So for this second book, I said, forget all of the accolades, the awards, the great reviews, this is for them. And when everybody else loves it, great. But if they love it, that's the main thing. No vampires. No vampires. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Maybe the third book. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) But you, I mean, I, I will say this. Number one. This is a book about a topic that you know, the Black Lives Matters mm-hmm. out there, the police shootings and have been going on. People have been talking past each other on this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like people are not listening. If you read your book, I mean, I walked away with it with an understanding that I didn't even have. And I mean, that's the genius of the book. How did because this you started writing this well before this even became a big issue. How did you have such clairvoyance to know this was on the radar? I didn't. 
Um, when I first wrote it, I was a senior at Bellhaven, and I wrote it as part of my senior project, um, a short story, and it was when Oscar Grant had happened. That's in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oscar um, was this young man. He was killed on New Year's Day, um, and he was unarmed, and it was caught on video. And it led to a lot of unrest in Oakland, and then it led to conversations at my school and in my neighborhood. Right. And they were two different conversations. So I decided to write the book to help people at my school understand how people in my neighborhood felt. Right. Um, we'll write the short story. Um, but I had no idea because I foolishly hoped that once Oscar happened, things would change. That, you know, maybe because we have something that's caught on video, maybe just maybe great conversations will happen and we'll see some changes. But then you had Trayvon Martin, and then you had Tamir Rice and Michael Brown, and I'm hearing these same conversations again, but on a wider scale. Right. And I was angry and frustrated, and I just decided to use those emotions and write. So I had no idea that, you know, this would be – I wrote it for myself again. Yeah. I had no idea it would affect other people, but I'm glad that it has. But I had no idea that it would be as timely either. It, it's, it's incredible. Like I said, the time was – the fact that it was a young adult book, though, mm-hmm. which I think is even more powerful because it helps a generation that they're looking around at the adults going, wait a minute, why can't you guys get this figured out? Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. very critical. <laughs> what is it about young adult books? Because it seems like like with John Green talking about cancer. And I mean, there's mm-hmm. a, it seems like and you can actually be a little bit more, I would say risky, but you can actually be a little bit more um, open to real issues with young mm-hmm. adult than you can even with, with grown up books. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um I often tell people I can't see myself writing for adults because, for one, we're boring. Yeah, we are very boring. <laughs> dull, dull, dull. Yeah, but yeah. also, we never we never have um, the same kind of open-mindedness that teenagers have. Yeah. They're willing to listen. You know, um, they're willing to have those conversations, and they're willing to be corrected. We aren't. Um, teenagers, I've had teenagers from all sorts of backgrounds tell me, thank you for this book. Yeah. You know, I've had a teen whose parents are white supremacists tell me, I picked up your book for some reason. I'm glad I did because it opened my eyes and I see that my parents' beliefs are not what I want to have, you know? So, um, they give me hope. They absolutely give me hope. And I wish we would give them more credit because in a lot of ways, um, they're really, they're driving our society in a lot of ways. They really are. Um, I tell them all the time they have power. Um, fashion trends are determined by how they dress. Um, language sometimes is determined by how they speak. All these new slang words that people come up with that Webster's like to throw in every year, teenagers usually come up with those. So since they have that power, why don't we write books for them that speak to them in a way that they want to use that power positively? And speak to them in a way that's, you know, not speaking down to them, too. Yes. That's really important. Yes. I tell you what, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this so far, and we're going to continue. with. we got Angie Thomas is in in the in the house of course her debut novel is the hate you give and if you haven't checked it out it is a fantastic book as well and we're going to continue as well this is now you're talking on mpb think radio Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Look, if you're just tuning in, today our guest is New York Times bestselling author, Angie Thomas. And we've been getting to know her a little bit, talking about her debut novel, The Hate You Give. And, of course, she's about to release a second novel. No pressure there. That's going to be a lot of fun, which means that she's going to be a very busy person over the next year. Oh, yeah, and then she's going to start working on a third novel in her spare time and everything. Angie, welcome. It's good to see you again. Um I mean, it's been a whole five, a whole minute since the last time we talked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got your mom in the studio. Um, I can't stress enough what an impact she has had on your life. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, she she doesn't she tries to be modest about it. And then sometimes she does not try to be modest about I've it. I've noticed but... <laughs> that about her. Yes. 
But um, I would she, say she's pointing to the sky. Yeah, she gives him all the glory. Amen. But I would say for someone who um, raised me by by herself with the help of my grandmother in yeah. Georgetown. Um, if you're familiar with Jackson, you know Georgetown is usually known for all the wrong reasons. So who raised me in Georgetown, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Jackson, um, when we were poor. Yeah. Um, and for me to be in the position I'm in now, um, I give her all the props. As a parent, uh, this story was one that makes me want to stand up and salute. You mm-hmm. witnessed a shooting. You were mm-hmm. at the playground. Yeah. And you witnessed shooting and what she did next I you know I think every parent needs to sit down and say okay this is this is how you be a parent. Oh, yeah. What happened that day? Um well I was at the neighborhood park um with a bunch of other kids, you know, doing what kids do, playing, playing. and all of that stuff. And these two drug dealers, I guess they decided to recreate the wild wild west and have a shootout. Fun. And in the middle of the park yeah. while us kids were playing and miraculously I um got out of there and I didn't get hit by a bullet or anything. Um, I ended up riding my bike all the way to Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. <laughs> wow, which is not a, there's a lot of cars on yeah, that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You could have gotten killed by a car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. thankfully I didn't. But my mom found me, and she put me and my bike in the car, and she drove to the library on Medgar Evers Boulevard. And she told the librarian, she said, um, she told her what happened. And she said, I want her to see that there's more to the world than what she just witnessed and than what she sees every single day. Can you please give her some books? Um, and that was like the moment for me because books allow kids to escape what's mm-hmm. around them and they allow them to see that there's more to the world than what's around them. So um, that was like, that was the start for me. It really started me as a writer too because once you start reading, you see these different worlds, it does something for your creativity. And all of a sudden I thought I could do it better than those authors. And I started rewriting their stories. Yeah, that's what she told me. She said that you actually, when you were little would rewrite stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, I remember you told me on the TV interview that you, there was, you would sit there and you would hear gunshots and you'd just pour yourself into Harry Potter. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it was a great way to escape all of that. Um, shout out to JK Rowling. I'm sure she listens. Yeah. Well, you know what? She reads your tweets. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to tell that story. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, well, there's a um, part in my book where the main character's father compares the Hogwarts houses in Harry Potter to gangs, which they are. Yeah, you colors. Know. They yeah, got, yeah. yeah, they are. If you look at them, they're comparable to gangs. And so someone took a picture of that in the book and sent it to her, and she thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So I feel like I've made it now. <laughs> okay, seriously, that is that is pretty awesome. Yeah. So you got a bandana from Left Eye. Yeah, yeah. I got approval J- from J.K. Rowling. <laughs> what else is there on your your bucket list? Um, Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> I got to meet Oprah. Okay, um, since you brought her up, Oprah. Mm-hmm. You heard the you went you watched the Golden Globes last night. I didn't. You didn't. Did, have, did you hear her speech? I have not listened to it yet. Oh my goodness gracious! I know I'm the one person in the world. I was watching this new show on Showtime called The Shy, so I missed Oprah's speech and I feel terrible now because it's everybody. A Devo. Like, I mean a Tivo, not a Devo. A Devo is a de- like a diva, but a yeah. Tivo. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. no. It was pretty strong. It really was. But, you think she'd run for president? Um, you know, I mean, she's Mississippi. Yeah, she is. But, you know, I have this thing now where I'm like, I want politicians to run for president. Really? What brought, I, what brought know, that on? I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. But, um, no, I think Oprah is great. And I think that if she ran, I think she would have a lot of support. But I would love for us to get to this point where we realize that, hey, you do know if you're going to put Oprah, who you love, in office, She's going to be handling drone strikes, you know. You know what? And a missile for you and a missile for you. <laughs> right. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You know Oprah the Rock. I mean, what a great combo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think I'd love for Oprah to stay Oprah. Yeah. You know. Because, I mean, the thing is, she has a nicer house. Yeah, she does. You know? I mean. It would become the White House. (laughs) Well, Ronald Reagan started it all, you know, with the uh, actor being president. Look at that. Well, but he was also governor of California, too. He was. Oh, God. Don't talk about governors, Arnold. You know. Yeah, but I mean, he did at least have a little. And he was, you know, he he did some stuff. He did. I have a question for you, Angie. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you process going from writing the book Mm -hmm. and uh, having that idea in your head, then it 
when did you get the news? Tell us how that went when you got the news that your book went number one. And how do you process all of this happening yeah. all at one time? And give us the time frame of how long, how, how, how has this happened from what time to what time? How long did it take? Well, I started writing the book as a book um, in 2015. Um, that's when I decided to turn a short story into a novel. Um, and it was like the summer of 2015, June to be exact, um, that a literary agency held a question and answer session on Twitter. And I was honestly afraid to query the book to literary agents because if you say Black Lives Matter to three people, you're likely to get 30 different reactions. Yeah. And for the record, it's not an anti-cop book. It's anti-police brutality. There's a big difference. Mm, huge difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I asked the agent, you know, if it was an appropriate topic for a young adult book. And he responded and said, yeah, actually, I'd love to read that. So I sent it to him, and maybe two to three months later, he signed me on as a client. Um, maybe two months after that, we went on submission to publishers, and 13 U.S. publishers all said that they wanted to publish the book. So okay. we had this huge auction. Wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. normally happen, no. just to say that. You <laughs> no. usually hear the story, yeah, well, 30 people passed on it, and then yeah. one came. Thirteen yeah. different authors. Thirteen different publishers. I yeah, mean. thirteen oh, different publishers. So um, that was like 2015, and then Hollywood came coming right after that. Came calling right after that. And thank you, by the way, for getting me a role in the movie. Oh, I yeah. really appreciate that because I know you. Everybody asked you that. Yeah, you I handled casting. Yeah, exactly. I'm being sarcastic. Please do not ask me for a role. Yeah, suddenly her Twitter blows up. Yeah, yeah, I had to change my name on Twitter to I don't cast movies. So who do you think I could be? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely not star. No, no, no. Um, let's see. This we can make you Chris. Uh, thank you. There you go. Thank. I gotta wait. We this... have to make Star an adult, but we make you. I'm about to say you're gonna get me thrown in jail. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, Angie, actually speaking about there are, there are laws uh, against that. <laughs> that. Do you have a lot of control when it comes to the movie rights, mm -hmm. and how, who do you want to you want to play the parts in the movie? I don't. Um, the film they finished filming. Um, in what month is this is january they finished filming in november wow yeah in atlanta um and while i don't make decisions i do they do consult me on things they did consult me they still consult me they're in yeah. the post-production phase right now where they're doing like the voiceovers and stuff and um the director calls me sometimes at seven eight o'clock at night it's L.A. time. It's 6 o'clock L.A. time mm -hmm. for him. But he's like, hey, can you tweak this line for me? You know. I was going to ask, <laughs> did the writers call you up and ask about a motivation or something oh, like yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And has Oprah, has she contacted or any of her people contacted you yet? Um, Technically, yeah. Um, She chose or the magazine chose my book as one of her favorite things. <laughs> so that was, I'm like, I'm Very close. Very good. I'm close. Very okay. good. I'm close. <laughs> Look at mom. I know, yeah, mom. No. I'm look. I'm yelling for you on this side. That is wonderful. <laughs> so a, you know when and you a book will for you and a book for you. <laughs> you will be contacted by her soon, especially when she she loves to support women, black women, not just black women doing positive things. Yeah. You will be contacted by her very soon, especially when the movie comes. You, you know this. this. Yeah, when the movie comes, it's going to hold so different level when you. the movie comes. I'm so out. excited really for you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to take that and claim it. And oh, I'm gonna we hold on to might that. as well. It's going to happen. <laughs> no, I mean, you you are pretty much in the stratosphere right now. When the movie comes out, that's just going to be a whole different level because it's going to turn around. People are going to buy the book that hadn't bought the book. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm nervous and excited. Yeah, no pressure there whatsoever. No, none. <laughs> so what, so are you, you're done with the second book at this point, aren't you? Um, Technically, uh, I'm still oh, revising. Re yeah, yeah. revising. Yeah, which yeah. Is, people don't understand that. They think you just sit down and write a book and then it's done. Oh, no, no, no. No. No, I that's wish. when editors come into play. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I get, like, long edit letters. Um, my mm. editor also goes through line by line in the manuscript. Does that, I mean, just from one creative person to another, mm -hmm. does that ever bother you? Does I mean, did that ever bother mm -hmm. you early on that you felt like that was some kind of attack against you or your talent? Because some people mm -hmm. get that way. Um, I will say that one of the huge things Bill Haven prepared me for was criticism. Yeah. Um, you know, we have these classes where we would sit down with each other, students would, and we would criticize our works. So I was prepared in that sense. But it is, it is this, there's this almost defensiveness that comes up when yeah. you see someone say, well, this line doesn't make sense. And I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense to you. You yeah. know? <laughs> Ooh, you did that well. <laughs> But um, I usually what I do is I'll read through it the first time and let myself feel defensive and upset. But yeah. then I set it aside for maybe a couple of hours and I go back to it. And I and then I'm like, OK, yeah, I get what she's saying. You know, so. I, I had the same editor for 15 years. Mm -hmm. 
And it really bugged me early on when he would he – because he, he didn't, like, sit there and try to micromanage my cartoon ideas, but he just said, no, that's not any good. And that was a great idea, yeah. you know. But I, I, I learned to trust him because he could see things that I couldn't see, and he was just working to make me better. Right. And I think once you get to that point in your relationship with your editor, you're, you're doing great. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, um, it, was, it was funny because it took me forever to finish a first draft. And once I send it off to my editor, I was like, this is bad. This is bad. And she's like, it's not as bad as you think. You know? <laughs> well, that was some praise. Thank you. <laughs> she was like, I see a lot of great things here. Yeah. So she has helped me in such a way that now I really feel like I have a plot for the book. Yeah. You know, um, but I'm thankful for someone who's willing to work with me and who sees the the um, the crap in the midst of the goodness. The in diamond the midst of the in the midst of yes. it. Yes, yes. <laughs> And the crap in the midst of this no, diamond. No, the diamond of a book. in the midst of the crap. But she could point out the crap too. So I'm that's for that. good to know. I can't wait to see that book of crap. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be wonderful. You know the the process, and of course, you're. Pro- when do you write? Do you get up early mm-hmm. at five in the morning and write when it's quiet, or do you do? No, okay. I, no, I couldn't do that. Um, I tend to be more of a night writer. A night writer. Yeah, writer, not okay. writer. Okay. <laughs> No, uh, wasn't um, that a TV show from the '80s with a yeah, talking car yeah. and night rider? <laughs> no, I write at night a lot. Um, for me, that's when it's the quietest. Yeah. So yeah, I will stay up sometimes until two, three, four in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but it works. So it does work. I see you're wearing a Hillman College uh, sweatshirt today. Yeah, yeah. You got a degree from there? <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to attended Hillman. Um, but, but that show meant a lot to you, didn't it? It did. It did. I think it meant a lot to a lot of kids in my generation, black kids specifically, because for us, it was like the first time seeing someone like us in a college situation, you know. Um, And for a lot of us, it encouraged us to go to college. So um, I loved a different world. I still love a different world. And I think it did a great job in that. Yeah. I think there's an entire generation of college graduates, especially HBCU grads, who can say, I decided to do this because of that show. There are a lot of people that, I mean, they're probably listening right now thinking, you know what, I, I'm thinking about writing a book. Mm-hmm. What's your advice to them? Um, one, write it for yourself first and foremost. Yes. Um, don't write it for trends. Don't look at things and say, oh, well, it seems like they want this because I promise you, whatever is trendy right now on the market is two years old. Yeah. Those books were acquired two years ago. Um, well, that was what's so amazing about yours because you were you were way before the wave. Yeah. Which yeah. that was a God thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I would also say get ready for all of the no's because you're going to get a lot of rejections. Yes. Um, while I didn't I didn't get a lot of rejections for The Hate You Give. I wrote a book before it and it was rejected by over 70 literary agents. So I have friends who are now best um, New York Times bestsellers who have been rejected 300 times. So. Be prepared. Right. It's going to happen. That's just a part of the process. And then um, write as if you're getting paid to do it because one day somebody will pay you to do it. That's called being a pro. Exactly. You you know, think about rejection letters, and I discovered this over the years. You start ranking them. You know, like, oh, wow, they actually signed it themselves or <laughs> they actually gave me a little bit of constri- criticism. And so you start saying, this is a good rejection letter. It's funny how you get used to that. We're going to continue this conversation. I'm very, very blessed to have Angie Thomas in the studio. Of course, she's uh, the author of the fantastic novel, the Hate You Give, and we're going to continue talking to her a little bit more about that. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We have author Angie Thomas in the studio, and you've probably seen or heard a little bit about her novel. It's called The Hate You Give, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, now it's going to be a movie. Uh, I feel like I'm in, I'm in the 
presence of a rock star. No. <laughs> no. No. Well, Angie, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those, don't give it away, because for those who hasn't, have not read the book, mm-hmm. give us a little synopsis about what the book is about. Okay. Um, the Hate You Give is about 16-year-old star who lives in these two very different worlds, um, the mostly black poor neighborhood where she lives and the mostly white upper-class private school that she attends. And the struggle of being two different people in these two different worlds becomes even harder after she is the sole witness of her childhood best friend, Khalil, being killed by a cop. Khalil was unarmed, and what Star does or not or does or does not say could not only change her community, but it could end her life. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say about the, there's, there's two or three things I'd like to say about the book. Number one, none of the characters are two-dimensional. None of them are cliches. Um, you know, the victim was a drug dealer, mm-hmm. so, but he was not doing anything wrong. And he just, I mean... It, her uncle's a cop. Yes. So, I mean, there are, you know, it's not, it's not preachy. It's, it's just real. It's real. Mm-hmm. And I, kudos for you on that. And number two, I see a lot of you and star <laughs> funny, you know, you grow up in one neighborhood, you go to school and yeah. another, you know, so, I mean, I, I, you said something very important. I think a lot of writers need to understand this. You, you kind of said what Mark Twain said about write about what you know, mm-hmm. that book, if I'd have written that book, it wouldn't have been a good book. I mean, number one, because I can't write as well as you. But number two, I mean, you just but you had the perspective and the understanding. And mm-hmm. and if and I, I remember hearing you say that if if you're thinking about writing about something you don't really necessarily know about, at least run it by somebody who knows something about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, we call them sensitivity readers in the children's literature. Um, well, in publishing, we call them that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people get. They get upset about that word sensitivity. Like, well, people need to not be so sensitive. Why yeah, snowflake. It's, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's not about that. Um, we often say, what I, well, what I often say is this. If you were writing a legal thriller and you had no legal knowledge whatsoever, you're going to run that by an attorney, right? right. I would hope so. Mm-hmm. If you're writing a medical book and you do not have a medical degree, you're going to run it by someone with one, right? So when we're writing about someone whose experience is not like ours who looks different than us or who has a different orientation than us, whatever it may be, why not get someone who shares that identity to look at it and say, well, you may have overstepped your boundaries with this one or you may want to rethink this line. And it's not about censorship or anything like that. It's just about improving your craft because... Right. It's good business. Right, yeah. right. It is, it's honestly, especially in children's books. I really stress it in children's books because... They can harm. You know, we're talking about teenagers and kids. You do not want to give them poor representation or problematic representation. So why not have someone look at it? You got banned in Texas. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I saw that this morning (laughs) on Twitter. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very proud of that, actually. You know, that didn't bug you anymore, I'm sure. But you still fight for it. Yeah, you know, I've actually stopped fighting for it. Other people are doing it. That's true. And, you know, and that's that's great. Um, It's actually empowered young activists in that school district. There's a young lady by, I've forgotten her name, but she did a, um, she has done an entire, um, She's done her own protests. Um, she's passing the book out to her classmates herself. You know, she did a petition. She's gone before the school board, and she's going to go before the school board again and present the that's book awesome. and why she wants to do it. And she's become her own little star, you know, and that's amazing to me. So I'm letting them do it because I feel as if, you know, that's how we, that's how people, that's how people feel empowered and they feel empowered to do it, do it. Um, I'm saddened that they banned it. Sure. But um, I'm not surprised, um, you know, and they want to say, oh, it's the language, it's the language. I counted how many curse words are in my book. Um, I use Kindle to do it. There aren't that many. <laughs> not as many as they wanted to make Not as many as probably you normally hear kids saying, right. although, you know, I mean, or me driving, one of the two. Yeah. If I'm driving, you probably hear more <laughs> curse words than that. Yeah, but uh, I, I mean, for me, there's a bigger number that I wish more people would focus on, and it's the number of victims of police killings. Right. That's a much bigger number. Can we talk about that number for a second? We have uh, something I've noticed. And of course, I make fun of people for a living, so I'm pretty good at that. Um, but I have one thing I've noticed about the things in the news. We like to get excited and upset about little shiny objects mm-hmm. as the rest of the world kind of goes by, and we don't ever say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think um, I think for me with my second book, I'm really focusing on that a little more. That would be cool. Yeah, I'm excited about Can that. Can you give us a little bit of a tease about what's going to Yeah, be yeah. Um, my second book is called On the Come Up, and it's about a 16-year-old girl named Brianna who is an aspiring rapper. Um, and you know a little bit about that. Yeah, don't I you? know a little bit about that. <laughs> um, but Brianna's big tragedy is not when 
she sees her best friend get killed or something like that. Brianna's big tragedy is when her mom loses her job. Wow. And um, for me, I want to talk about poverty with this book. You know, we see the numbers. We see unemployment numbers. We see all of these things, but we don't see the people a lot of times. So what does it mean when, you know, there's so often people say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But what does it mean when your boots are raggedy? Or you don't have bootstraps (laughs) at all. Or you don't have boots. Or somebody has taken your boots. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, so for me, I'm exploring that with this book. Um, But I'm excited about it because it's another way to explore those those headlines, but looking at the people beyond in the, beyond the headlines. Your mom's obviously not going to get on the microphone, although she's sitting awfully close to it. I don't know. No, nope, she just <laughs> she moved just away moved. from it. She's close enough. She's she moved to the yellow mic. Very powerful Which, story oh. that I did not get on television, and I hate that, but I probably should have. She heard the gunshots mm-hmm. that killed Megar Evers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You want me to tell it, or I could tell it because she's sitting. Here. Her it. mic is live. She yeah, your talk. mic's live. You can talk. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll tell you because I, (laughs) um, no, um, my mom was, how old were you? I think I was seven. Okay. She's okay with revealing that. Yeah. Um, she was seven years old and, um, my grandmother and a friend of hers were going to go out that evening to hear Medgar ever speak. And they got a call from another neighbor saying, you shouldn't go. We've heard some things that something's going to happen tonight. You should stay in. And my grandfather encouraged my grandmother to stay home. And um, they got also another call that saying that the what was they called? Night Riders. The Night Riders. Yeah, see, the one I said that I was just, I suddenly say, oh god, yeah. I shouldn't have said that. No, but no, anyway. no, you're okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's two different things. Yeah, but um, basically, the KKK were gonna be riding through the neighborhood that night, and my mom said they um, turned off all the lights, and they could hear them driving by outside, wondering where all the black people were. But they use that other word. Right. And they're flashing flashlights into the houses and everything. And my mom and my grandparents were basically on the floor. And it wasn't long after that, it was so quiet that they heard the gunshots. And wow. they got the call that he had been killed. Whew. Pretty powerful way to end the show. Angie, thank you so much for thank coming you. in. And you're about to start off to go jet-setting and traveling around the world. I wish you all the luck in 2018. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank, thank you for you. coming in. Now you're talking, of course, production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, produced by the incredible, amazing, fantastic, and wonderful Michelle McAdoo. And if you missed part of the show or want to hear it back online, you can go to mpbonline.org and find us there as well. Coming up next is Southern Remedy. This is Now You're Talking. We'll see you all next Monday.